Good morning, elect exiles. We are coming again to 1 Peter. If you're new with us, we uh, seek to walk through books of the Bible most Sundays, and uh, we're here in 1 Peter 4, and uh, the reason you've heard us refer to elect exiles so many times is because that's how Peter first opens the address to the church, and I believe that's a, a helpful way for the church to understand herself. There, there are many ways to be exiles in this world. Some seek exile by isolating themselves with some form of self-medication. Some seek exile by finding others who would gather around them with some other idea. There, there's a place apparently called Yogaville, not too far from here. Real place, kind of self-explanatory. Strangers who have intentionally sought to live outside of the norms of this world. We, we all long for some kind of relief. We all know this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. The key is, how, how is it someone becomes an elect exile? Th- th- those two things have to come together for the Christian. There, there are many ways in which Christians should try to back away or, 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 or remove themselves, but to be an elect exile means you're still here. And you feel the full pressure of being an exile. You feel the, the full strangeness of being an exile but you also feel the full love and power of God who elected you. What makes us elect exiles is that God has saved us. We look back at chapter 3, verse 18. He, Christ, suffered so that he could bring us to God. We're not just seeking a way out of this world, but we're seeking a way to God, and God alone can bring us to himself. Uh, this morning we're looking at something unique again in Christianity. We've, we've looked at the unique love ethic of Christianity. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. We've looked at the unique theology of suffering, that, that God is with you in the midst of suffering. God is for you in the midst of suffering. Here we're going to look at, again, uh, something in, in the ethic and the morality of Christ. We're looking at the very mind of God, the will of God. It's not new in 1 Peter. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 13, Peter commissions the church after declaring in God's great mercy, he calls you to be born again. He he says, prepare your minds no longer in the passions of your former self, but instead be holy. In in chapter 1, verse 22, be purified in your soul, have, have earnest love for one another. Chapter 2, verse 1, no more malice, deceit, slander, long for God's good word. And chapter 2, verse 11, began the focus on how we relate to others in this behavioral change. We're, we're to be good citizens of our governing authorities. Masters, submissive to slaves. Wives, submissive to husbands. Husbands, living with their wives in an understanding way. It's important to see how, as elected exiles, God shapes everything his way how we think how we act what we desire as we come to christ he he changes everything about us for our good this morning elect exiles change their behavior in the world and within the church there's two focuses there's one in which you're no longer going to behave like you used to in the world and 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 Peter's going to give us some thoughts on what that means when you're in the world, they're going to malign you. But then he makes a, a turn there in 7 through 11, how, how you now relate differently to the church. It's important we see there's two different ways of living, two different places we live, in the world and in the church. In the churches where we're trained up to know how to actually function and live in the world as elect exiles. Too often we want the church to look and act like the world. Here, the church is meant to train you to know how to live out the will of God as we go out into the world. Our worship service begins with a call to worship. We're, we're, we're invited by God in. The worship service is going to end with a benediction, a word to go back out in faithfulness. But there's four points to our sermon today. There's four sections, a new way to follow, a new way to follow, the old way to reject, the old way to reject, our new way in the world, 
and our new way in the church. A new way to follow, an old way to reject, the new way in the world, and the new way in the church. First, verses 1 and 2, the new way to follow. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Over and over again, Peter has brought us back to Christ has suffered. That that is the, the base foundation for everything we believe. Christ died on the cross. Everything we've seen in Peter, he's grounded it in Christ's suffering. We're we're called to endure suffering. Christ is an example of that suffering. He's a foundation for that suffering. He's led the way in suffering to show it's the way to glory. The cross represents great suffering. It's, It's interesting how that now is a defining symbol of the church, whereas that used to be the symbol that, that no one would want to be associated with because it was the, the most significant way of bringing suffering and shame upon the worst criminals. But now Christ has suffered. It's, it's a symbol of the suffering that leads to glory. What we saw last week in chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. A, a, a simple passage, again, to memorize for the, the, the sake of the, the clarity of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 19, we've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. The, the, the suffering of Christ, the, his death on the cross, his shedding his blood for us is central to what God has done for us. Here, Christ has suffered in the flesh. He experienced a true, absolute, full human nature. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. He, God became man, God incarnate. He had a a full human nature so that he could suffer the full human death. One of the most excruciating deaths. All this for us. He he being the righteous one. Never sinned. Always right in line with the will of God as God himself who took on flesh. This is the gospel. If you're not a believer this morning, this is the, the, the truth that you need to hear most clearly. No one can please God in his own strength. We're all unrighteous. We are all sinners. We've we've all rebelled against God. No one can outdo their bad deeds with their good deeds. That's why God came himself to take on our nature. Christ, in his human nature, died in the place of sinners. Died in the place of all who believe in him to forgive them. He takes the wrath of God upon himself so that God is just, he will punish every sin, and Christ gives us his own righteousness so that all who believe in him can be forgiven. This morning, that is the basis of the gospel. I'll be talking to the Christians in the room because there's a a great application for what that means for us now, but the most meaningful thing you can hear is the only hope you have is Christ who suffered in your place. And, And the invitation of God is to believe in him. To, to simply see the, the sin you have and that you can't wash it away. But Christ in his blood, he can forgive you by his sacrifice. Believer, there's a, a new application for us as, as Christ suffered is, is continued to be applied in different ways. Hear what Peter says. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, we therefore arm ourselves. You are to arm yourselves with the same Way of thinking. Christian, it's a thinking faith. There's a command to think here. There's a command earlier, be sober-minded. Consider the ways in which we think. If we only come in and and check out our minds at the door and want an emotional experience of some sort, we're we're not seeking to live as a true human in the the sight of God. We're not seeking to to truly be engaged by God in every way. I I pray there is an incredible experience, especially that that cutting of the heart of the Holy Spirit. But but we don't check our minds out. We're, We're required to think and rethink and recalculate. Because here's the reality. We all walk in with some really bad ideas. 
We all have borrowed, mostly even tacitly, unintentionally, really bad ideas. And when we come to God's word, he, he helps us think his thoughts after him. We're, we're, we're called to a new way of thinking. Praise God, he, he gives us better thoughts. He gives us better ideas. We need to be aware that there's a lot of ideas that we bring to God's word, and we've got to be careful not to syncretize. We need to be careful not to bring them in and well, hide them away. God changes all our ways. There's a new way of thinking. Based on everything that follows, that, that might get complicated. Let me make it simple. Sin bad, Jesus good. All right? A lot of folks are exhausted. You've been hosting people all week. If that's what you walk away with today, that's fine. Sin bad, Jesus good. If that's the only thing you ever walk away with, that's not going to be good for you. But it can't be that simple. The human passion's bad. God's will good. Jesus has come to make God's will known to us. Notice it's not just the way we think. It's, it's arming ourselves with a new way of thinking. That's, that's militant. Elect exiles, we're, we're not in a playground. We're in a battlefield. There, there, there's a real battle. There, there's real consequence. It, it requires real training, real intentional, thoughtful action. This is something to take seriously. Christ suffered so that we can arm ourselves with a new way of thinking, thinking the same way as Christ regarding sin. For whoever, verse 1, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that's a challenge to think about. Christ suffered in the flesh. He put an end to sin for all who believe him. In, in the sense of he takes away the penalty of sin. He takes away the power of sin. One day he will take away the presence of sin. But here, this can't just mean suffering in general. As if just anybody who suffers ceases from sin. That, that can't be what it means. As he continues to relate our suffering to Christ's suffering, this, this must be suffering by faith. This must be connected to suffering with Christ, participating with his suffering. It's a suffering that's tied to walking faithfully with Christ. There's a, a union with Christ, I believe, that must be understood within this statement because it can't just be suffering, period, in our human nature. No, it's, it's suffering here and now at this time with Christ and, and for Christ by by faith in Christ. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that should give us all some pause to ask, am I in that whoever section? Ceased from sin. I want to bring in some other texts to help us kind of think about that declaration, because that's a, that's a big declaration. First John gives us two boundaries for us to think about this. 1 John 1, beginning of verse 8, he says, anyone who says they're without sin is a liar. So we know there's no sinless elect exile. But he also says anyone who continues to practice sin cannot belong to God. So we, we, we see some boundaries for what this statement must mean. It, it, ceasing from sin can't mean you're sinless all of a sudden. But it, it, it means we, we're not practicing sin. As we think about that, I think a helpful way of saying it is that you're finished with sin. Because after you suffered with Christ, as you've united with Christ, have you seen what sin is in light of the cross? You see it's destructive. It's deceptive. It's dangerous. I believe as we look at what's going to happen next, he's going to tell us how to stop doing the things that are no longer fit for a follower of Christ. And he's going to pull us towards the things that are true and, and should be uh, part of the Christian life. I believe we, we see this commitment as we come to faith. It's not just receiving forgiveness. It's a commitment to see the sin Christ died for is something I've, I've got to stop practicing. It's deadly. The, the way of Christ is good. I want to follow him. See, the new way of Christ, it calls us to holiness. It calls us away from danger. A Christian disciple denies himself. What are you denying yourself of? The deadly, dangerous sins that Christ died for. 
You're carrying a cross. You're participating in the suffering. You're following Christ. You're seeking to know his way to follow. There's something important here. There, there aren't, there is no unique way of following Jesus Christ. God gifts us all. We'll see that in a little while. There's different ways in which we serve based upon what God's gifts are that are varied. But there, there's one holy standard, God. There's one Holy Spirit that's driving us and, and changing us and transforming us to be like that one holy God. We're all supposed to seek to live in the same holy way. We have been made alive with Christ. That was chapter 1, verse 3. Now we're to live in that way. Look at verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. Again, as humans, in our, in our human existence now as elect exiles, as we're still on this earth, waiting for a renewed body with new eyes, for the rest of the time we're to live in a different way. And there's a key contrast. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That, that, that's the key contrast. Believer, you, you do have two options. There's two ways to live. We try to make it somehow like closer together as if we can, we can mix and mingle here, but there's two ways to live. According to our human passions, what feels right, what we desire by nature, how, what, what's right in our own eyes, or what God says is right. There's a strong contrast here between the human passions and our own desires. Now, What's truly amazing is God not only changes the way we think, the head, God even changes the way we desire, the heart. And that, that fascinates me because here we can have control of our desires. We can redirect our desires that's significant because we usually think based upon our desires. We usually choose based upon our desires. We, we usually feel out of control with our emotions or our desires. Here, we can actually change how we love because God loved us. I think that's really hard to do. Because here, here, here's, here's what the desires come from within. Those are our desires. We identify with them. We produced them. Th those passions, which are taking God's good gifts and corrupting them, which are, are they're, 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 they're taking what God has given to us and we twist and we pervert, they're ours. This is why sin becomes our master. That's why it's so easy to fall into a slavery of sin because it's our actual deceptive desires that are leading us away that they, they feel like they're, they're, they're who we truly are. But in God's grace, he changes our hearts. He directs our hearts back to him. He, he leads us back into his love by first loving us. He leads us to, to better loves. This takes effort. Your heart doesn't just change accidentally. It, it is changed in a moment by God's grace, but then there's great effort to take every thought captain, every desire under inspection. It takes help from others and most of all help from God. What Peter's putting before us here, believer, we, we can be done with the deadly destructive patterns that Christ had to die for and we can live a new way God's will. The world shouts, you do you. Jesus says, I've got something better. Don't be true to yourself. Learn how to live up to what God has called. Verse 3, the old way to reject. We've seen there's a, a new way, no longer in the passions, but for the will of God, according to the way Christ has shown us what sin is and what it does in, in his own way. Now there's a clarity of what not to do. And notice again, time is important. The old way to reject, verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. 
living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. Verse 2, live for the rest of your time seeking God's will. The time that has passed suffices. It, it, it is no longer timely to pursue these sinful practices. It is out of season, believer. The time has passed. We, we need to recognize how important time is, how, how precious it is, especially that Christ has redeemed it. One of my children made an observation recently that old people want to be young and young people want to be old. My response was, reality is old people cannot be young, but young people, Lord willing, will grow older. There's, there's really not a lot of option there. So I told her, enjoy being young. Quit trying to be old. We always wish it the other way. We, never, we, we have a hard time appreciating where we are in the moment. And, and here in this moment, believer, if you're in elect exile, time has passed for these sinful practices. There's a new way to live today. Believer, as the word of God is planted in your heart, every moment is precious as a way of glorifying God. We are to do good with our time. We are to do God's will. There's a warning, especially as we, we have so many young folks. Be afraid of wasting your life. It is so easy to waste your life. It is so easy to just get into a pattern of doing something that doesn't matter. Because there's so many different ways of numbing ourselves in weird, mindless entertainment. Realize God has given you good, great purpose. God has given you his will. In order to do this, we have to learn how to say no in order to say yes to the right things. We have to learn how to say no so we make sure to say yes to the right things. Living in sensuality. This is simply, if it feels good, do it. Obey those base desires that the world is telling you is what makes you the true noble savage. That, that, that inner heart, the culture is pressing in and making you be somebody who you're not supposed to be. Those inner sensual desires, that's who you truly are. Well, that's the old way he's saying is no longer in season. According to your passions, that's the same word as above that he said is against God's will. Again, that's that, the lust, the twistedness. The taking of God's good gifts that had a good purpose and using them for our new purposes, which means we're going to mess them up. Drunkenness. The idea here is a, a foolish person in drink. The, the, the fool is, is at the heart of the word there. Foolish drinking. Orgies. Outrageous, self-indulging sexual practice. Drinking parties or carousing. Kind of the vanity fair and Pilgrim's Progress. And then finally, lawless idolatry. Worship everything but God. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of sins. There's a whole another list of sins about the self-righteous person who seeks to be a hypocrite and pretend they're better than they are. This is a list of the licentious. So we, we, we realize there's different kinds of sins, there's even different categories of sins, and this isn't exhaustive. But a simple glance at the list altogether is, is really helpful for our age because this list is all about self-satisfying, self-worshipping, the self-seeking person. This, this person is indulging. All of these particular activities are the indulgent. This is what our cultural icons teach us to do. Really, we see here many ways of being intoxicated by overindulging. By indulging outside of God's will, outside of God's way. Alcohol listed, is listed explicitly once, assumed again. Sexual sin explicitly once, assumed twice. Two of the primary gifts God has given us is, is, is food as we feast and glorify in his name. And, and sexual union with a, a marital spouse. It's significant. The more important the gift, the more likely it is we're going to mess it up. The, the, the goodness of the gift. We see the goodness, but we, we take it and we, we want to flip it around and use it for our own personal selfish ends. 
What sex is supposed to be in God's design is a way of enjoying the covenant union of marriage. But what our culture has done is despise marriage and try to glorify sex in every other way. That's out of season for the Christian. Now, you might look at this and say, orgies, well, that, that, that's, that's, that's gross, that's way out there, that's, of course not. A, a preacher once challenged a group of young folks. We do realize we have a, we have a brothel in our pocket with the phone. The, the kinds of things you can look at is, is the equivalent of an orgy. It's, it, our sophistication has only made these things more easy to grasp if we want them. Again, the, the key here is a, a self-satisfying consumption, foolish consumption, an intoxicating consumption, filling ourselves with God's good gifts without giving him glory or without seeking what his will is. At the end of the day, it's all idolatry. At the end of the day, it's really just worshiping ourselves. Here's the reality. We are designed to worship. We will worship. We are worshiping something sometime. Or all the time. The key is, are we worshiping God with all he's given us according to his will? This is why it's so important we understand God has given us his will. Because those desires are ours. And the, the, the helpful thing God has given us is his word. The, the real way to analyze and understand your desires and your passions to see what how we're taking something good and, 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 and messing it up is to allow God's word to, to function as it's supposed to, as a mirror. To, to shine light in our sin, on our sin, by, by the goodness of, of his good word. We, we look at God's word and we ask God, first show me your, your goodness so that I can see my sin, so that I can know your forgiveness, so that I can know how to be more obedient. It's not some grand mystery to figure out what God's goodness is. He's made it very clear. The trouble is our heart, our deceptive, sinful heart, likes to twist what God says and make room for our sin. This is not an exhaustive list, but I think it speaks to our age that is self-indulgent. I ask you, Christian, what... What current sins are you seeking to repent of? What, what kind of practices do you see you need to stop in order to align yourself outside of the human passions that have directed you, but, but towards God's will? We're supposed to be finished with sin because we've suffered with Christ. We're supposed to say we're going to stop these sin patterns. Christian, the Pressing question, what, what needs to change today? To better know God according to his will. There is an old way to stop. Verses 4 to 6 present our third point, new way in the world. Our new way in the world. As we've come to think a new way, to live a new way in God's will, setting aside all those old practices... Peter gives us some pastoral care in the midst of thinking through how those old friends are going to treat us. Our new way in the world. With respect to this, they, that is the world, those who practice these things, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. There's a wonderful clarity that Peter tells you what's happening, probably, if you're an elect exile at this time. As, as you stop participating in the sin that you once gathered with these friends with, over, they're going to malign you. As you, as you once joined with them in the debauchery, now, now you stop, they're, they're going to speak evil of you. Now, he's speaking to was most likely a, a new church of new believers, folks who were raised as pagans and became Christians and, and stopped a lot of foolish practices. We, we, we can appreciate the radical change that happened with many of those lives, and I praise God for the radical change that happened among many of you because of God's grace. But, but what kinds of practices do we just adopt again, 
maybe not even fully embracing the practice as something that's clear, that, uh, sinful, but you know, the, the role of recreation and entertainment in our culture. That, that is our idols in America, our recreation and entertainment. What, what, what kinds of ways do we gather with folks that if we stopped participating in the jokes or the gossip or the slander that they would, they would malign us because we're not participating with their sin anymore? When you stop joining in the evil practices, they're going to treat you with evil. That's the reality of what Peter's telling us. Believers, elect exiles, know that they will give an account. That's the comfort he gives. The reality is they're going to malign you, but verse 5, but they will give account to him, the almighty just judge, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. If we're walking with Christ, there's a great comfort that he is a just judge. If we know he has forgiven us because Christ paid the penalty in full, we rejoice in Christ and we rejoice in God's judgment because if we are maligned for doing good, if we bless those who curse us, we know that there will be a judgment. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, we need to pause here and remember this is a thinking faith. For this is why is referring to the two purposes at the bottom. The gospel was preached so that though judged in the flesh, they might live in the spirit. And he's not saying we're going to go and preach to the dead. Do not go to the graveyard today and think you're going to fulfill this passage. I believe the idea is the gospel was preached to those who are now dead while they were living. This is the beauty of the gospel. Everyone's supposed to hear it. Everyone is supposed to hear it because it's the only way to live. But those who are now dead, they heard the gospel that they might, though judged in the flesh the way people are, that is, they've they've died in the flesh, they, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is so parallel to what we saw about Jesus in 318. I believe that spirit is the Holy Spirit. They died like humans do, but they were made alive by the Spirit if they believed. Christian, as we think about this this world, we need to be careful of wanting the world to embrace us and and give us some kind of certificate for good deeds. Because the, the gospel is offensive when truly preached and taught to those who reject him. We we should not be We should not expect celebration of the world for being faithful. We should long for God's celebration for our faithfulness. We need to seek to be faithful to him. If they hated Jesus who suffered for us, we shouldn't expect different treatment. There's a forewarning of what to expect and a promise that there is a judgment and and even hope in the midst of that judgment. Fourth point, verses 7 to 11. The new way within church notice how time continues to be a significant stamp live for the rest of the time in the will of god the time has passed to participate in the sinful practices the end of all things at hand here here we are verse 7 the end of all things and therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God's good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We go back, we've seen this contrast, God's will and human passions. Well, if you want to know what God's will is, it's it's 7 to 11. We we can see God's will is don't do certain things, but now it's what to do. That's helpful. We we don't just stop practices, we need new practices. We need a, a new way. God gives us his will. If you want to know what the will of God is, 7 and 11 are, are a good starting place. 
This is the will of God. He's telling you what to do because he's a good God. There's two primary ways we see at the very beginning. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled is one of those instructions throughout Scripture for the church. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's part of that knowing what to say no to and knowing what to say yes to. It's, 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 it's not me determining how to have my own control of my own life. No, it's how do I trust what God has said and know how to discipline my, my schedule? Because where we spend our time is how we're growing up into to something. How do I discipline my time, my desires, my thoughts? What, what are my patterns? That, that, if we're not intentional about it, we're going to waste away. To be self-controlled means we're, we're analyzing and we're, 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 we're seeking to know God more, more faithfully. We're letting others speak truth in our life. Sober-minded, this is a seriousness. This is the opposite of foolishness. If I think about these two, I, I picture somebody that I, I call who is ballast. Ballast is that bottom part of the boat we don't see. It's under the water. It keeps the boat stable. When waves come crashing and rushing in, the boat's able to stay stable because the ballast is strong. The boat has a stability. By knowing God's will and seeking to live God's will, you've got a ballast. When, when storms rage, we can hear Jesus' own words there. When you're built up on the rock and the, 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 the waves and the, the come crashing in, you're, you're able to have a, a, a firm standing. The reason seriousness and sober-minded and self-controlled are, are so important for the Christian and that ballast, they're not waves from outside that normally throw us off. They're sinful desires from within. It's an inside job that's usually bothering us. We must have the seriousness and the sober-mindedness and the self-control to, to identify the, the, the sin that was within that so often sabotages our love. Our culture is so over-romanticized that supposedly the most authentic you is a spontaneous you. I believe the serious self-control life is one that is wonderfully predictable. If you're a young believer, grow up to be wonderfully predictable. Your children will grow up in a home knowing exactly what to expect from their parents. The church will know exactly what to expect from you. It's a great grace to be wonderfully predictable when you've set your pattern according to Christ. The most authentic you is the version that Christ has saved you to become, which means you're denying those impulses that, that, that burst forth. Notice verse 7, the end. For the sake of your prayers. This is at least the third time we've seen in Peter a connection between our, our living and our prayers. The, the first was husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, honoring them so that our prayers are not hindered. The next came from the, the quote from Psalm 34 that followed soon after. Our prayer life is how we find the strength and energy and the grace to know God's will and to follow God's will. Elect exile. How is your prayer life? Are we learning to regularly depend upon God? Are we regularly asking, what is your will? Are we regularly asking, let me see you more clearly and know you more fully from your words so that I would see my sins or repent more so I might see you more? If we're seeking to live in the passions, we're not going to seek God's will. There's a way in which I think just subjectively, by default, if we're seeking to live only by our own passions, we're not praying because we don't pray for that. We just are self-sufficient to know God's will, to, to know our own will. Earlier, the, the, the previous text, there was a, a way in which Christ and his, his suffering and resurrection ascension, it gives us that good conscience in prayer to come before God. There's a way in which if we're living in sin, we're, we're hesitant to go to the God who we know is good and that we've not been living with. I believe that's one of the ways in which our prayer life could be affected by sin is we're afraid to go or we just don't go. The other is actually more terrifying. It, it may be that God stops listening to us so intently because we refuse to follow him. 
One of the most dangerous things is when we start praying and we say, this is my will, and God, you're supposed to do what I want you to do, and then we get upset with God not doing it. That's called compounding sin. We, we think God's supposed to satisfy the desires of our heart rather than shaping our heart. That leads to a compounding, dangerous sin. The next commands all take us in a slightly different direction. Those are plurals. We're all supposed to be self-controlled. We're all supposed to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers together and for one another. Now, we have an above all. Notice these next have a similar phrase that we really have to know as a church, the one another's. There's a way in which we're relating to each other, the, the one another's who all belong to Christ as, as elect exiles together. There's a way in which we're relating to one another uniquely. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another. Those are the three that are listed here. Our, our new way in the church has to be marked by these particular three practices. He begins with love one another. And th- this is not new. We've seen this throughout 1 Peter. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 22. We saw it in chapter 3, verse 8. This is not some random act of kindness love. This isn't just when I feel like it, I'm going to go and participate in something love. This is, this is a, from Jesus' own command. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says. Love one another as I have loved you. It's sincere. It's earnest. It's sacrificial. We've all been adopted in the same family. We all have received the, the same love. We're all seeking to grow, to enjoy it, and know that love all the more, and to express it to one another. We're supposed to be growing up in this sacrificial giving of ourselves to one another in this earnest love towards one another. That is God's will. What we all have been trained to think, though, is that we're consumers. And consumerism is a sinful mindset that must die. Consumerism really just leads us back to the sins we're supposed to be, supposed to be in our past, with the sensuality and the passions, just the indulgence. If, if we only commit to other believers when we think we like it because of what we'll get out of it, are we not treating the church like a retail store? Is God's holy nation? Is God's holy temple where the will of God is supposed to be done? Consumer Christianity has been limping along for a few generations. It, 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 it cannot succeed because it has no theology of suffering. It cannot succeed because it's seeking to take our will and God's will and somehow mix them together. No, we, we must come and realize we're God has given us himself, his love, so that we can give to others. Let's just back up for a second. How good is this? God woos us in our selfishness. We all came to Christ because of what he gives us, right? We all came to Christ as consumers. We needed forgiveness. We came to him to get that forgiveness. That's how good God is. He gives us what we need. He gives us himself. Then his will is to fill us with himself, fill us with his love so that we can give to others. God meets us where we're at as selfish sinners. And then he transforms us to be giving saints. What a great God. What a high command. What a good will. He then tells us love covers a multitude of sins. There's a time to confront a brother, like Matthew 18 says. There's another time to let love just cover that multitude of sins. And it takes a lot of wisdom to know the difference. It, 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 it captures something important. Sin still happens in the church. Because that's who you're loving. And that's, how, that's the sin you're letting get covered from love. There, we, there's a reality that God has adopted all kinds of rascals. Some of us can be a little difficult at times. The, the hope is we're, we are confronting when needed, but we're also letting love cover a multitude of sins. There's a powerful way in which Jesus has taken away our sin and his suffering. 
And that's the model for us in the practice of now us covering all of sins with our, our own love for others. But by definition, Christ absorbed the wrath of God we deserve by taking away our sin. When we love others in this kind of way in forgiveness, it, it is absorbing activity that, that is difficult. I remind you of our church covenant. We will humbly warn a brother who is in danger of falling into disobedience or error. We will speak the truth in love, be slow to take offense, and be eager to seek swift and lasting reconciliation. That is a significant commitment regarding love covering all of sins. Show hospitality without grumbling. Uh, if anything here, it's welcoming the stranger. I'm, I'm so thankful this comes right for Thanksgiving because I, I, how many homes opened up to folks they did not know that well. You now know each other better. But because they're your fellow Christians, you're, you're part of the same family of God. You're, 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 you're exiles together as elect from God. But I, I, I want to challenge us with thinking about what it means to show hospitality. There's a way in which we become too private in our culture. There was a day when you, you drove to somebody's house and you knocked on the door without them knowing it. Now you can't even call somebody. That seems like offensive. You're, you're like, who's calling me? Why don't you text me? We're, we're, we're getting too distant. There needs to be a sense in which we're sharing each other's lives, and sharing each other's lives, according to the Scripture, is usually sharing a meal together around our dinner tables. Open our homes. I'm thankful we've just experienced a lot of that with Thanksgiving and folks being invited into homes together, but, but this should be a normal practice in the church. Practice the pop-in. I, as your pastor, just gave you full uh, privilege of just popping in on other members. You're welcome. I fear one of the reasons we don't do this, we don't have people over, it's, it's, it's the uh, Magnolia Joanna Gaines problem. This is for one of my daughters. Seriously. We, we think our homes have to look perfect for people to come over. Oh, no, it's good to let people invite, be invited into your mess. That's where they're going to learn Christ's mess, the best, right? We think we need to have our home just perfectly, everything in place, all the laundry put away, the trash, you know, every, so, something great being cooked on, on the stove. No, we, younger believers, new believers, they need to be invited into the mess as well. We, we can't think it always has to look like a, a Martha Stewart picture. It, it, we need to be able to see this, this can look messy. Key there is without grumbling. There's a great gratitude in loving others and showing hospitality. The third command, serve one another. He goes further here. He explains this one more. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And that's where we see there's one holy standard that God calls us to, but then there's multiple gifts that we each have that all come together to build up the body and unite the body and make the body complete. Everybody has a gift to steward. Everybody has a way of contributing to the temple, to the nation, to God's will. Every person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit has been given a gift to use. And you don't find your gift by taking a quiz online. You find your gift by doing everything you can to serve others. I was given the advice once by a professor when I was in college. He was in his 60s, and he told me, do everything you can until you're 40 and then do what you're best at. And I looked at him thinking, 40, I'll be dead. I'll be all used up. Now in my 40s, I'm like, man, that dude was right. Do everything you can. Serve in every way possible. The church is here to let you find ways that you shouldn't serve as well as ways you should serve. And there's grace there. Find different ways to serve as good stewards of what God has given you. Verse 11, notice there's two specific ways of serving that he lists. And, and we see in other texts there's another gift, so there's way of serving. But he, he lays out two, and I, I think it's really interesting, the two that he picks. Whoever speaks, whoever serves. All right, so let's just be very clear. Verse 10, the word behind the word serve is the word we get deacon from. And the word serve in verse 11, that word serve is the word we get deacon from. 
He said, deacon, speaking and deaconing. That's fun. What, what you see here, it's very much like Acts 6. When the apostle said, they, they will serve tables and we'll serve the word and prayer. Speaking is a service. There's other ways of serving. We usually consider this as a teaching ministry or a physical ministry, but both are high and exalted in the holy temple of God because it's God's will. And I want to say there might even be behind this some idea that there's elders who are setting the pattern for speaking and there's deacons who are setting the pattern for serving. But at some level, we all are contributing to the body with the way we speak and serve. Everybody here is going to speak to others, I hope, after the service. I hope you spoke to each other before the service. I hope you, you're going to use your words of the week. We're, we're all to be speaking in a way that's reflecting the word of God. There, there's a unique way in which some are speaking the words of God. There's a teaching, which is really just setting the pattern for how the rest of the church is supposed to talk. But, but we each must see there's a way we all serve the speaking is a way of proclaiming the things to build up the saints and teaching. All this service is good. And all of it is needed for God's kingdom. Notice the end. In order that in everything God may be glorified. God's will is that he would be glorified. God's will is to invite you into the way of glory. And the way of glory is by the way of suffering. Christ has suffered for us so that we can participate in his suffering. We can participate in his new life. We can know his will. We can set aside sin, and we can now pursue a better way. We're all worshiping something. Here is instruction for how to worship God, the true God who saves us, that in everything God may be glorified. And all that we do in our love and all that we do in our hospitality and our homes and all that we do in serving one another, may God be glorified. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and that it has not left us with the foolishness that we have come up with in our own minds, the rebellion we've adopted from our culture, the desires that bubble up from within that, that love only self and sin. Thank you that you've given us your son that gives us new li- who gives us new life. You've given us your spirit that, that changes our desires, that, that brings us into your presence, that helps us to know your love so that we love you more. Thank you that we can be loved by one another and love one another, be served by one another, and serve one another. May we grow to know how to depend upon you that we might become more dependable with one another. Jesus, we pray. Amen.